Hey guys, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Spartan Spotlight. I'm Justin Thin. I'm here with my co-host Corey Robinson. We write for the 24-7 Michigan State Sports Site. And today we're going to kind of do a gloss over of the whole first half of the Michigan State football season. The Spartans are 7-0 and and uh, I guess let's dive into some observations over those seven games. How are you doing today, Corey? I'm doing good. So first we can go back to the beginning and I know both of us were pretty sure that this team was going to be much, much better than the Vegas expectations. Um, personally, I had them going eight and four. Um, I had them losing to Miami, Penn state, Ohio state, and one team that they shouldn't have lost to. Um, not any team in particular. I just thought they were going to lose to like a 500 ish team. And um, they've already proven me wrong um, about Miami they haven't had a letdown yet, but Purdue and Maryland fit that description for that 500-ish team I talked about, but I think they should be fine there. So, um, and then Penn State, um, Clifford, if he's still not healthy and looks the way he did yesterday, it's possible they could prove me wrong there as well. But so far, they're 7-0, and uh, whereas I thought they would be 6-1 and or 5-2. and and um, I guess, do you kind of remember what you had expected going into the season and how they kind of stack up? Yeah, I was uh, like you where I thought they were going to be better than they're getting credit for based off of uh, the offense of firepower that they were going to bring to the table. Uh, a lot of people, for whatever reason, didn't really understand just how good Kenneth Walker was. And to be able to have a run game that you can count on like that weekly is huge for an offense and opens everything up and then with the speed that you have uh at receiver with Jaden Reed and Jalen Naylor and Michigan State showed last year that they were an offense that likes to take the deep shots and take advantage of that speed so I thought the offense was gonna actually be strong this year which it has been the defense was kind of my concern which oddly enough I thought my biggest concern coming in was the pass rush, and that's actually been very good for them, uh, surprisingly. Uh, I think I had them, at this point, 6-1. and one. I thought Miami was going to be better than they were, but I picked them to win the other games where the Indiana game, to me, was a toss-up just based off of the success that they've had the last couple years, But uh, which that game ended up being tight. But Right. But they're about where I expected, but maybe they look better than I expected, even with that same thought process, I guess. Yeah. And I know um, people can pull up the tape because the whole uh, Michigan State season preview episode we had with uh, Stephen Brooks, we, we said all these things. And I know the things that we really focused on were they have a truly elite running back. Um, that was just obvious if you watched um, the Wake Forest tape or even just the 60-second little snippet that I tweeted out um, a week after they landed him. Um, the stuff he was doing in that tape I hadn't seen since Saquon Barkley in college football, that level of explosiveness, agility, and size and tackle breaking, that combination just isn't, isn't common. And he was hampered by Wake Forest's um, weird gimmicky RPO read option system where the the handoff or, or the mesh was so delayed and so long 
where the quarterback would just keep the ball in his gut for like two full seconds before deciding whether to pull it or keep it. And Kenneth was getting tackled behind the line of scrimmage on like half of his runs. And um, that anybody should have been able to see through that if they actually looked into it a little bit. So the national media in Vegas and these guys, I don't know how they dropped the ball there with all this technology available in 2021 and all these YouTube clips of his running. So um, big L for them for kind of just missing the obvious there. And then, um, so we knew that they would have an elite running back. We knew that the offensive line should be improved just because of the fact that coach cap would have had another offseason with them. Uh, the strength and conditioning finally was going to actually happen this off season. And um, they were going to have a real left tackle in Jarrett Horst. And he was all Sunbelt first team. Even if the, even if he would have struggled a little bit in the big time still would have been better than their options at tackle last year. So it was, it was guaranteed that the O-line was going to improve. And um, that allowed AJ or Curry to move to right tackle, drive us inside. I know right now it seems kind of um, not the best time to talk about how much the offensive line has improved just because of the last game and how abysmal they were there. But um, if you look at the sum product of the O-line this season versus last year, you don't just average that, that yards per carry number that MSU has without offensive line improvement even though Kenneth Walker is special so we talked about Walker we talked about the O-line we talked about um, the fact that they were going to actually have um, an offense this year they were going to be able to have a playbook that's wide open they were going to have a quarterback whether it was Russo or Thorne that actually got time with Jay the entire offseason so the passing attack was going to be better just off of that alone and off of the fact that Rocky wasn't going to be the quarterback for the first five games of the year. So they were bound to improve. And really the only things that they lost were two UDFAs and Antoine Simmons and Shakur Brown, who are obviously very good, but it's not like you're losing a 15th overall pick or anything like that. And um, it was just impossible for them to not be much, much improved and we said all of these things before the season started. So this this was pretty easy to see coming. Like I said, they've even overshot my expectations because I thought they'd be six and one with a loss to Miami or five and two with Miami and a 500 uh, team loss. And uh, they've been better than that. So I can't take too much credit since they're still performing better than I thought. But anyone that didn't have them going five or two or better in the beginning of the season, I guess, didn't buy into what we were saying in that in that preview episode. Yeah, like also, I'd say too. I think I talked about in the preview episode when we were still unsure whether it was going to be Peyton Thorne or uh, Anthony, Anthony Russo at quarterback that it was going to be a an upgrade as far as allowing the offense to be itself. Because even last year, I, I believe. In that preview, I might have said something like, if it's Thorne, uh, you look back at the Ohio State and Penn State games, and that was really the only times last year that I felt like you really saw the offense and what it can be. Because with Rocky, where he had a good game, obviously, against Michigan, that wasn't that was just a lot of deep balls that wasn't uh, spreading the ball all around and doing a lot of different concepts. So I think on that show, I said, at worst you've already seen that uh, with Peyton Thorne under center, it allows the offense to be uh, more explosive and more dynamic and just attack defenses in different ways. And then obviously he's won that job and you've seen him do that where he'll attack them deep, 
uh, attack them in the middle, just spread the ball over to different receivers, get the uh, Connor Hayward involved at tight end where he's been a huge uh, impact and surprise for the offense, just not only with his catches, which we knew he could do, but he's been uh, really good at blocking on the edge and helping Kenneth Walker bounce some of those balls out to the outside to make the big plays. So just overall, I mean, the offensive signs were always there. Uh, I think surprises on defense is how just how good Kale Halliday was. Going into the preview show, we had heard that he took over the number one job, but yeah. we had to keep it a little bit quiet, kind of hint at it a little. But he's exceeded expectations for, oh, for a sure. redshirt freshman to be uh, that good on the field. And then also the big impact for him is just how smart of a football player he's been getting guys lined up. So a guy like uh, Quavaris Crouch, the Tennessee transfer, who's a, an elite athlete, but he comes in really raw as a linebacker. Uh, Tennessee didn't really have good coaching down there, so he had a lot to learn in his short time up here in East Lansing. But having a guy like Halliday who can let him know what he needs to do right before the snap, that allows him to not have to think as much and just go do his job. And you're seeing him come on every single week. He looks even better than the last week. So now that linebacker core is starting to become a strength for Michigan State. Yeah, for sure. And you kind of see the difference that he makes um, when, if you look at the game where against Rutgers, he missed the first half for targeting, he comes in in the second half and um, it's a completely different uh, kind of uh, outcome for Michigan State in terms of, I believe the very, very first play was a tackle for loss uh, by Halliday chasing someone towards the sideline. And I believe he also had a sack on the first or second drive back. So He's just uh, he's just been so good. He's been probably the biggest surprise um, on the team. And I know one thing I was unsure about is even though linebacker was not going to be uh, a horrible unit because Crouch replacing Simmons means there wasn't a wasn't a big drop off. I was still concerned with the fact that okay, so last year you had Harvey and Simmons. And the linebacker play was average, whereas Simmons was playing pretty good and uh, Harvey was not. So I was thinking, okay, so you have replaced Antoine Simmons with a guy that is not as accustomed to the linebacker position in in Q Crouch. And uh, the other position probably won't be upgraded because Ben Van Sumeren wasn't a shoe in to start. And uh, Cal Halliday, uh, we didn't think he would be playing like this. So I came into the season pretty worried about linebacker um, and uh, this this has been a very, very pleasant surprise for me. That unit is one of the better ones in the Big Ten, I would say. Q Crouch um, is kind of learning the, the details of the position every week, while his athleticism and energy have been there from the beginning. And uh, Cal Halliday is just, I don't know if there's many Big Ten linebackers that would take over him. Of course, there are a couple, but this guy's a redshirt freshman, and he's, he's probably a top five linebacker in the Big Ten. So uh, huge credit to Coach D for finding him. And um, that's that's a great story there. Um, but yeah, touching on Peyton Thorne a little bit as well, like you were saying, um, the biggest thing I'll give him credit for is the fact that he hasn't turned the ball over much. And I, I know that last season, that was a problem. Just that was, you'd be lucky to kind of have three straight drives where it, you're, the defense isn't just having to defend right from the red zone because Rocky fumbled or threw an interception. 
And uh, that alone, just having ball security out of the quarterback position would have been enough to improve from last year to this year for the unit. But now you add in the fact that he's actually completing deep balls at a pretty high clip. Um, sometimes they're underthrown and guys have to slow down their stride. But at the end of the day, they still have tons of 60 plus yard touchdowns. So obviously it's not a huge issue if you have all that to show for it. And um, the other thing that people don't really give quarterbacks credit for is he hardly has those kind of plays. Um, of course, there's probably one a game or so, but he doesn't have often um, a throw where you're like, wow, so you can hit all these deep throws, but you really can't hit that easy slant or you really can't hit that slip screen. And you can see quarterbacks that go into the NFL where they're like second, third round picks. And these guys are elite prospects. And even they just struggle sometimes occasionally hitting that easy pass. And you're like, okay, this guy can hit these NFL throws, but why are you bouncing this play? Um, and, and he just has been so consistent in that regard where you don't have to worry about, oh, this ball is going to someone wide open. Let's just hope he doesn't overthrow it like while the ball is in the air. Like, I don't know, maybe I just watched a lot of Christian Hackenberg play where this dude was making so many unbelievable throws across the field, putting balls perfectly 40 yards down the field and then overshooting a guy on a bubble screen every other time. Maybe that's what has me kind of traumatized, but I just don't have any fear of, okay, this guy's open and he's going to get the ball and there's not really any other side to it. And that's not the case with a lot of quarterbacks. Carson Wentz too, just these, there's a lot of guys that have elite arms and can make impossible throws, but they're not consistent and they don't sometimes hit the gimmies. And I feel like that also was kind of the issue with Russo with what we kind of heard coming into the season is he can make a lot of throws and he has an NFL arm, but he is, it's the consistency. And that's also what led to his interceptions at Temple, but that's that's kind of another thing that people don't give Thorne a lot of credit for is the consistency and not just the 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 positive deep ball accuracy in the in the production. It's it's kind of a he's he's a reliable guy in the pocket. Yeah. Also, I'd add uh, he doesn't take a lot of losses as far as sacks and all that. There's between him and the offensive line not giving up a ton of sacks, putting them behind the sticks, and Kenneth Walker being consistent running. You don't, you'll see like, you know, get a couple third and eights here and there, but you're never, you're not really seeing a ton of those uh, third and 10, third and 15 type of situations. Yeah. Uh, and when those do happen, it's because generally because of a, a penalty, not because of uh, him taking a sack or, and getting behind the stick. So right. uh, he's kind of a, a game manager in a sense that he doesn't turn the ball over and doesn't take the bad plays, but he also stays aggressive and makes those big plays. So uh, he just adds a lot to, to the attack. Definitely. He's not quick to just throw the ball away and play it safe, but you'll never see one of those major, major issues where they're at the 28 and it's third and seven, and he takes a 10-yard sack, and suddenly they're out of field goal range. And you see some really good quarterbacks have moments like that, whether it's in the NFL or college football, and you're thinking, how can you make that play? This dude's like a redshirt sophomore, I believe. Who knows with the COVID eligibility stuff? But he's just smarter than than guys typically are at his position, and it's a great, great welcome sight to see for sure, especially after last year. Um, But yeah, I guess um, some other things are – Finally, Jaden Reed and Jalen Naylor's um, speed are finally being used. 
last year, the offensive line couldn't block long enough other than in the Michigan game for them to use their, use their deep speed. So um, that's great to see those supremely athletic guys being put to use and getting production out of them in, in their greatest form of strength. Um, great to see Trey Mosley even being a very solid wide receiver three. Um, we'll talk about it more this week um, when we preview the Michigan game, but I think he could have a, a sleeper game because Don, uh, because Michigan um, is kind of going to look at what Don Brown had happened to him last year with just the deep balls down the sidelines and think Michigan might try to kind of recreate that a little bit and, and emphasize on those two guys because they're nationally leading in, in, in the receiving stats. But there's going to be a Trey Mosley opportunities this week, I think, but we'll, we'll dive into that some more, but um, yeah, just all around great play from the wide receiver unit. And you can just see how these guys are, are really, really have separated themselves uh, by the fact that they've really co- rarely come off the field and don't really substitute. And a lot of other guys don't get a chance, but um, of course that those guys are still repping a lot in practice and they'll develop over time. But if you can have receivers play so well, that you just see those three on the field all the time. That means that those guys are playing at the top of their game right now. So that's great to see. Um, Connor Hayward has finally been used in the role that he should have been used in last year. Um, and, and all the years before that, I know we've talked to Piegler a lot of times, like off the record. And he would say that, yeah, but we really were kind of handcuffed and he was just our, our best running back at the time last year. Cause as we know, Eli had COVID and Jordan Simmons had just arrived. And uh, that was that was kind of all they had to work with. So even, the, even though Piegler and these guys knew last year that he's not really a running back, he honestly was their best option at running back, unfortunately, last year. So the fact that that changed this offseason, Simmons got older, Eli was back um, to his old form before he got hurt, and obviously Kenneth Walker's addition made them um, gave him the option to switch counter to his real position. He's been good in, in spurts. He's been good at blocking as well. Um, Tyler Hunt, uh, I guess n- no complaints there. Um, sometimes you don't his feel breakout his... game uh, yeah. last week at Indiana. Yeah. So now maybe that's where you start to see him loosen right. up a little and right. take a bigger, bigger role in the offense. Cause he is a good athlete and has yeah. good size. So I think there's something there, but maybe, yeah maybe Saturday's big throw and then touchdown catch and uh, kind of catapults him in the second half a little bit too. Yeah. I know I tweeted out the Tyler Hunt drive uh, right after that, but that was great to see. And the fact of the matter is even if you don't use him this week, now that he's actually shown uh, some signs of production, suddenly it's something that defensive coordinators have to think about as opposed to just complete non-existent tight end play. So it just adds another wrinkle that that um, guys like Mike McDonald are going to have to at least spend a couple minutes on to to see how to cover it, w- what they're doing, how they're getting Tyler open up the middle of the seam and just kind of gives them another distraction. And um, then I guess you kind of start thinking about the defense and just how great the safety play has been with Henderson and Gross. That was basically guaranteed to happen coming into the season, and those guys have lived up to their expectations in that regard. Um, Henderson has made tons and tons of tackles, rarely misses a tackle. Um, hasn't really, really been tested in downfield coverage, which I know NFL uh, scouts are going to want to see. But he had that interception against uh, Youngstown State. It was impressive, and he hasn't been exposed or anything. So he's just been playing as well as you'd expect. And uh, Gross, just solid as they come, true sophomore. He's going to be fun to watch uh, down the road. 
and uh, cornerback play. We've spent a ton of time on. I know we've talked about them in, in the Indiana game and how those guys are excelling uh, every single week, or I should say improving. Um, and that was a huge worry for me coming into the year because of the fact that a lot of unproven talent there, but um, I know we spent a lot of time on this, but just real quick thoughts, Corey, on the cornerback room. Yeah, that's a position that uh, you, Stephen, and I talk about probably weekly. Yeah. Uh, and the the conversations have been more positive each week. I think you're seeing Ronald Williams starting to really settle in. Uh, he's played good the last three weeks, I believe. Uh, Kimbrough has settled in a little bit uh, before uh Williams did and he seems to be a guy that has that nose to make the big play at the big moment had the interception in overtime against Nebraska and then forced the fumble against Indiana last week or two weeks ago I guess uh so he's starting to come on uh Marquis Lowry he missed the first half of the season injured he's starting he's a good physical corner I think he's going to be a good player here in the future and Chuck Brantley the true freshman uh he's seen his snaps decrease a little when Lowry got healthy but he's also a guy with a really bright future here that's shown you enough uh on the field and then uh I guess too the box safety position has been really good Dowell started out the season and was good but I Darius Snow has kind of taken that over to an extent where they still rotate the two of them, but you're seeing a lot more snow now than Dowell, which it was slightly skewed the other way at the beginning of the year. Uh, Both of them have been good, but Snow, he's just such a good sure tackler, got his first interception uh, in his career against Indiana. So the secondary is starting to come along. In the season preview, I'd said... I looked for uh, Xavier Henderson to have a Kari Willis type of senior season where like they were both were always really good, but you take that next step up like Kari did and you're seeing that uh, in the first half of the season out of X where he looks faster, which is the same thing with Kari. They improved their speed enough so that they weren't getting beat in the passing game by those uh like crafty uh slot receivers so that's good and like you mentioned with uh gross i think i've always been high on him uh well even at my past stop with at the spartan mag there where i always said he's the best db in the the midwest for that cycle and he's kind of making me look smart right now uh so yeah it's overall there's a lot of things in the first half to to be excited about going into the second half but obviously the second half is gonna define just how great this team can be yeah for sure and uh yeah i know just real quick on the cornerback room like ronald williams i was so disappointed in after the northwestern game it was more than just a player or two that was concerning but now pretty much the only only thing he needs to get better at now is locating the ball in the air he's stride and stride by stride with a lot of these guys so it's his actual coverage has picked up. Just need to turn some of those batted balls into an interceptions and maybe avoid some DPI by finding the ball. Um, and then Lowry was good before he um, got hurt once again. So we'll see what that diagnosis is or how long he misses time. We're, of course, not going to know the diagnosis. But, um, yeah, Brantley was really impressed with his physicality. 
the guy probably weighs like 105 pounds soaking wet, but it's uh, the way he plays. You would never know it. He's just as physical as they come. Uh, needs to trust his instincts a little more. Uh, gets caught flat-footed on some slants sometimes, but that kid's going to have a, a long, productive career here at Michigan State. Um, Harlan's going to keep coaching him up, and he has uh, all the other tools that you need, and he's going to be a great player. Um, yeah, and then uh, Chester, you see um, him getting more and more confidence every single week. Um, a little grabby sometimes, and you also like to see him turn around sometimes, but he, he has the tenacity you kind of need from a corner and he's getting better every week. So like I was saying in the Indiana podcast, that was a unit that I expected to single-handedly lose Michigan state some games and, or seven games through, and that has not happened. And Michigan, even if they lose to Michigan, it won't be because of cornerback play. So that'll be eight games through where they haven't lost a game because of that. Um, If Clifford is still at this health level or if they don't play well, um, that could be a game where you dodge a bullet where otherwise Jahan Dotson and some of these guys might've caused issues. And then of course, Ohio state, that's going to be a game where Olave and Wilson and Jackson Smith and Jigba and Julian Fleming and all these guys are going to feast, but who, who do they not feast against? But throughout the course of the season, there will have been many, many less games, uh, many fewer games than I would have thought that cornerback play would have cost them dearly. And uh, the fact that the season is going to come and go with maybe two or three games, that being an issue, as opposed to like half the season, which is what I expected, that's, uh, that's great to see. Um, so credit to Harlan Barnett for getting those guys better every single week. Um, I guess uh, defensive end, they have been much better there than I thought they would be after uh, Drew Beasley got hurt Um, coming into the season. And even just the first two or three games, Beasley was really the only one that was getting consistent pressure out of the defensive line. Um, They were getting quite a few sacks from linebackers and safeties, but four-man pressure wasn't very good. Um, Beasley was kind of the only guy consistently getting there. And then he got hurt, and uh, that was very concerning. Then uh, immediately, Jacob Panishuk just absolutely started dominating uh, the line as a whole. Even the interior guys have been great. Uh, Slade and, and Maverick Hansen, and just even Mallory has come on late. It took him a while to get accustomed to playing at a new weight. Um, just a lot of, lot of great production from the defensive line just when that was starting to look a little concerning. And obviously they've always been good against the run. Uh, we'll see that be tested um, higher than that's ever been tested against Michigan this week, but um, just very impressive effort from the defense this year, despite not being the most supremely talented at outside corner. And uh, Scotty's scheme has helped in a big way. Um, playing that bend don't break type of style when cornerback play wasn't great has been a saving grace for sure. Um, if he tried to come in with his own rigid philosophy of we're going to do this, even though we're not talented enough to do this, they could have lost some games because of deep balls. They could have been shredded vertically. So there's uh, definitely, he has been looking out for his guys. And he's one of those guys where when he says, we're going to play to the strengths of our guys and we're not going to come in with a rigid scheme. Now you know to believe him when he says that. And uh, just, I guess, any other thoughts as a whole uh, on any unit, Corey? Yeah, I think uh, the defense is coming along, kind of that bend, but don't break. It's sometimes tough to watch, but if you look at the, the final scores and the lack of points they're giving up. It, 
justifies that it works. Uh, and then you see a game like Indiana where that was one of the few games that the offense really struggled. Uh, they realized, okay, we can't lean on the offense. So they got rid of that bend but don't break, especially in the second half. And uh, you saw them actually kind of lock up on the corners and they really dominated third downs in the second half. And even the second half of the first half, uh, once they made that adjustment to saying, all right, we're going to put a little more pressure on the defense, the corners and the defense as a whole was able to rise up and uh, do, do what they needed to do to win that game for the offense. So obviously when you go through a season, especially in the big 10, there's going to be those games that your offense isn't there for you as much as you want. So to be able to know that they can lean on that defense a little more is huge. Uh, they do a good job against their run. I would like to see them maybe plug it up a little bit more, but also I, I understand that the running numbers aren't as big of a deal as it used to be in football with the passing game and all of that other stuff. So some of that's an adjustment for me to watch because seeing them in the past where like they literally would plug the center position over the center and nobody's running there now they'll allow a little bit of that because it's all about that bend but don't break philosophy but yeah overall I think everything you see from them is good obviously I mean you're seven and no there's not a ton to complain about and I think we'll see coming out of this bye week you're going to see the team kind of guys that are nicked up are going to have a little bit more energy. It's Michigan game. That's going to give you a little more energy. And then I think even with the coaching staff, it allows you to take that extra time to start adding a few more wrinkles into your, uh, your offense and defense. So I, I think you'll start to see both sides of that, the ball evolve going into the second half at coming off of this bye week. Yeah, for sure. And actually, speaking of that, I have a article coming out where it touches on three new concepts that I kind of want to see them pursue a little more in the offense. And um, I'll be dropping that in a couple of days. But basically, you have two great running back options at any given time, whether that's um, whether that's Kenneth and Jordan, Kenneth and Harold Joyner, you have um, an ability there to kind of make defenses cover two running backs that are fast, explosive, and you got to start taking advantage of that. So I want to see a split back formation out of there. You can do a triple option um, and Thorne is mobile. So that would be very well suited for um, kind of taking advantage and making him a runner as well. And then you can also just motion uh, Joiner if he's the guy on the field for this split back. Theoretically, you can motion him into the slot hopefully get a linebacker to cover him one-on-one um, right from the line of scrimmage if if they're playing man defense and uh, maybe send him on a wheel route towards the sideline. But there's so many things you can do um, out of a split back formation when you have two running backs that are threats. Um, and I, I want to see Jay do that much more than he has been. I actually don't know if there even has been a single formation where it was a split back uh, shotgun formation with two running backs, but need to see that. And uh, just the second concept is just using uh, running backs in the passing game as a whole in the intermediate and long game. There's a lot of swing screens and a lot of slip screens and 
uh, it's time to take that to uh, making linebackers having to cover them down the field. Uh, specifically, the route that comes to mind for me is the halfback angle where the halfback uh, starts in shotgun right next to the quarterback, um, goes out left, and then cuts back in right, right at the middle of the field. And I don't know if there's any linebacker in the Big Ten that can cover Kenneth on a mid-angle route in short space um, and stay with him when he cuts back uh, back right or back left, depending on which way the route is. And that's just a route I need to see. I, I, I Maybe if it gets stopped a few times, I'll abandon the hope, but I just can't picture that not working um, with Kenneth Walker. And um, then just in general, I want to see more spread. I want to see some four wide receiver looks out there. Um, and I think that if the offensive line struggles to open some gaps like they did against Indiana here in the near future, that'll help uh, take a guy out of the box. And um, just it would subscribe to the basic principles of the spread offense where you dictate your play call based on the amount of guys in the box. Um, if everyone is being blocked one-to-one and the numbers are even, you can go ahead and call a run play. If, if they're not stacked in your favor and you have, say, six defenders, five blockers, you just go ahead and call a pass play. And those are basic principles that um, not only would help just play calling and seeing the field better, but um, if you do get a five-to-five five or a four-defenders-to-five blockers thing, you could get some open path running lanes that weren't there last week. So I would just like to see them space the field out a little more and maybe take a defender out of the box if they're struggling to run the ball. And I don't know if I've seen any four receiver set. So that would just be something new as well. But primarily it's the first two things that I really want to see. So I know Corey, any thoughts on those? I know we basically agreed that some of those are some of the things that we want to see. Yeah, I agree with those. And then I think uh, Michigan state would be wise to start manipulating the defensive ends uh when they bracket outside to try and force uh walker to stay in between the tackles i think if you start putting uh some rpo stuff in where uh thorn can either give it to walker run it himself or have a quick hitter coming off of that edge and really kind of just read off of what that defensive end is doing uh it would help them uh kind of either pull a defense out of bracketing and letting him get back out or you just expose their weakness and (laughs) what they're giving you. Uh, So I think those, all of those things would be what I would look forward to in the second half. Yeah, for sure. And um, I guess the last thing to touch on here is Kenneth Walker's Heisman run. And uh, I know, a lot of people they're thinking, is it even possible a Michigan State guy winning the Heisman? And um, I know um, there's been a lot of uh, national media attention where guys um, that are analysts that uh, talk about these sort of things and have a lot of weight um, have been saying he's a he's a top three candidate here in recent weeks. Uh, Matt Corral and Bijan Robinson stocks kind of went down a little bit once their teams uh, started picking up a few losses, and uh, Bryce Young is. I would think the favorite and um, some lists have Kenneth Walker second. Uh, some, some still have him fourth. I know betting odds have him closer to fourth, but actual power rankings from experts are closer to him being second. And um, the only thing I'll say is that his numbers are better than Derrick Henry's the last time a running back won a Heisman, at least through seven games. So that's the positive. That's what should give you a little bit of hope of why he can win it. The issue is I think Jonathan Taylor had also, 
um, been uh, better than Derrick Henry at least one at least one season, and he wasn't even invited to New York, so he wasn't even a finalist while outdoing um, Derrick Henry's numbers. So there's two ways to look at it, and um, I'm not going to make any bold predictions and say he's 100% going to win the trophy, but. Um, I do believe that if he has another 200-yard rushing game, he will at the very least clinch a flight to New York. And I also think that if he has a great game against a marquee opponent, which I think he can definitely have against Ohio State, because even though Ohio State might shred Michigan State's defense, I think Michigan State's offense should not be too stifled by Ohio State's defense. And I do think that some running lanes should be open. Um, and I do think he could get some yards in a marquee game there. So who knows? The opportunity is all in front of him. Uh, if he has some good games against these good defenses, there's no reason. He cannot just keep climbing the ladder. And um, Penn State's defense was very strong against the run while P.J. Mustafer was still around, but he's out for the year. And Illinois shredded them on the ground, even though there was no passing success by Illinois. So if, if that's the case and Penn State has to follow the Illinois model um, when they play against Penn State and rely mostly on Kenneth and uh, not test that secondary because they're very solid, then even better for Kenneth's chances. So that's my little take on it. I think it's possible. Um, and I think it's very possible he goes to New York if he just has one more, one more big game. So Corey, your thoughts, what do you think of when you just hear people say Kenneth Walker for Heisman? What, what is your initial reaction on just how plausible that really is? Yeah, I think it's plausible. He's done enough in the first half, and then he's got the schedule set up that if he has success, uh, then he's done that on big stages. You got Michigan coming up this week, uh, Penn State, and then uh, Ohio State. So you have the schedule to, to kind of push that up another gear. So where you go from being in New York to possibly winning it gets a lot lot higher if he shows up in those games and Michigan State of course keeps winning is the big key too but for me even to have a legitimate Heisman candidate and if you can get him in New York even if he doesn't win that's a huge win for Michigan State as a program uh, just because they don't really have that happen too often I don't know the last time, if ever, they sent anybody to New York and the Heisman <laughs> thing. Right. Uh, so even just being mentioned and being there, it might be not mentioned. Uh, mentioned was weird at the beginning, but we're well beyond that now. He's right. earned earned that. So I'd say if he can get to New York, and then even if he wins it, obviously, like that's that's huge for Michigan State and the the coaches because you've been here two years and you already have a guy sitting in New York in the running for the Heisman. So it's all, all good things for uh, Michigan state to sell if they can at least even get him in New York at the end of the year. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's going to be exciting to see what he can do with all the golden opportunities in front of him um, later this, later this season, but um, going to be fun. Hopefully Michigan state fans can enjoy it. Um, hopefully they're not going to be sitting there distracted by the nonsense um, LSU ML Tucker noise. Um, you can also go check that episode out. We did that last week. Um, so that'll, that should be the most uh, recent episode below this one. So definitely give that a check if you're still kind of concerned about that. 
Um, and yeah, so hopefully you guys enjoy the rest of the season. Um, we'll see what they can do here. This is what will kind of define uh, just how good this team is and how far this program has come. But nonetheless, they have more than surpassed the preseason expectations by the national experts. And they have um, kind of surpassed our expectations as well, even though we were some of the most optimistic guys out there. Um, but yeah, does that, does that wrap up this episode, Corey? Yeah, I think we covered the first half and now we can uh, jump into uh, Michigan week down to, in a couple of days and then uh, preview the second half here coming up too. Yeah, for sure. All right, guys, thanks for joining us uh, for another episode of the Spartan Spotlight. Um, this week, we're actually running a 60% off promotion uh, for a VIP sale at 24-7. Um, it's exclusive to the Michigan State site just for this week's rivalry against Michigan. Um, so this will probably be your best chance to get a VIP subscription for a while. Um, if, if you're into recruiting, you will probably want to jump in on this deal. Uh, it's a big visit weekend for Michigan State. And even just in general, over the next 12 months that the subscription will last for, uh, just think about the momentum that Mel Tucker and, and the staff will have going into signing day, going into January, February, March, April, where recruiting uh, really picks up, um, even next summer when the camps and stuff happen. So over the next 12 months, I think you really get your money's worth. Um, so definitely give that a look. Uh, we'll be tweeting out the links uh, throughout the week. Uh, shouldn't be too hard to find, but yeah, give that a shot. That's where you actually read uh, all of our real uh, insights uh, on recruiting. So uh, that does it for this episode. Thanks a lot for listening guys. And uh, hopefully we'll see you at the Spartan tailgate message boards. See ya.